This is Dating Ourselves, the podcast that talks everything 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. I'm your host, Adam, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Brian and Paul. Hello. Howdy. Welcome to episode 18, where we'd like to remind everyone to not go chasing waterfalls. <laughs> Isn't it, uh, aren't we on episode 60 this time? Or 18 with 42 episodes of experience. <laughs> I see, I see. Sorry, I'm just super giddy and excited to talk about tables, ladders, and chairs! Oh, yeah! You got the tables and the ladders and the chairs, and you smash them! Um, <laughs> yeah, I think you guys may have went a little uh, little off the mark on this one. We're actually not going to be talking about wrestling in this episode. Oh. Yeah, it's a, it's a different TLC. Oh, like the station with... Uh... With, with extreme couponing and 90 Day Fiance with the guy with no neck and Honey Boo Boo? You can't forget Breaking Amish. No, of course you can't. But uh, no, that's that's not it either. We're actually uh, going to be talking about the, uh, the R&B group TLC. Oh. oh! Yeah, I guess that makes more sense based on the theme. <laughs> <laughs> okay, TLC. I'm tracking now. <laughs> All right, we are, we are. So at any rate, if you missed our last episode, you should really check us out when the gang and I talked about the best Nickelodeon show of all time, Are You Afraid of the Dark? You can find that in all of our past episodes at www.datingourselvespodcast.com, on iTunes, Google Music, and wherever you find your podcast. I actually found mine in the oil pan of my card this week. That was weird. You changed your own oil? No, that was the weird part. <laughs> I wasn't even doing anything, and it just fell out of my oil pan. I don't know what the hell happened. Say, you woke up under the hood like a cat in the middle of the winter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, got, gotcha. I got cold in the middle of the night, so I curled up under the engine. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, well, <laughs> on that note, um, let's let's... Let's get started. Uh, <laughs> I feel like you're judging me. Don't judge. I, I'm, I'm usually not at a loss of words. And uh, anyway, <laughs> this week, uh, as we kind of already alluded to, uh, I'm going to be leading a discussion on T-Boz, Left Eye, and Chili of the R&B lady group TLC. Um, so yeah, TLC, I think, is uh, an interesting group. Um they were huge for a, I don't know, probably a good 10 years. Absolutely, yeah. Like, um, they were kind of, um, TLC was like the TRL golden children, I feel. <laughs> Unless you're talking about oh, yeah. the boy bands. The boy bands kind of, you know, would give them a run for their money and the occasional Britney tune, but they always seem to be right up they, there in the very top. And they, th- their look was so 90s it hurts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, in each era of their career, too, depending on which album we're looking at, is a very different style of 90s. Like, their first album is so, like, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, like, crazy oversized yep. clothes that are all, like, outrageous Crayola colors versus, like, their No Scrubs <laughs> era where they're doing kind of like that. It's going to be the millennium soon, so everyone's going to wear, like, like <laughs> aluminum foil. Parachute pants. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, everything's shiny. Yep, yep. <laughs> They got like fake virtual reality shit going on. It's it's, it's oh, like yeah, Max hair. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it's kind of like what's his face the the computer thing in uh in Iron Man. I can't think of his name now. Jarvis. Um, Jarvis. Jarvis. Oh. It's like yeah. Jarvis. <laughs> I may not know '90s music very well, but you throw out a uh, Marvel <laughs> movie quote, and uh, I'm there. <laughs> Fair but anyway. Enough. Remember, we will pick the topic of the next episode at the end of the show. It will be Nostalgia Combat. Nostalgia Nostalgia Combat. Me and the video game franchise, Dr. Mario, Adam, and Phantom of the Opera. Phantom of the Opera's there. We'll also (laughs) visit our old friend, the Hopper of Imagination, to get another topic for Brian. So, Brian, keep us going with the TLC.
perfect, perfect. Yeah, we are uh, on the TLC tip right here, folks, and Adam is already in a singy mood, so I think that's going to do well for us this evening. Um, but yeah, so TLC... I'm putting my hands in the air and waving them like I just don't care. <laughs> the Stop roof me, is I'm on fire! <laughs> Wait, don't run away! Wait, that's just an expression! <laughs> 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 so anyway, so TLC um, is an American quote-unquote girl group. Um, that's how Wikipedia defines them, I guess because they had three girls in the group as opposed to a boy band. I, I don't know. I think it makes sense. Yeah, but they, they were a, a mix of R&B, pop, funk, and then you have a hip-hop rap element there as well with Left Eye Lopez. She brought a lot of uh, hip-hop flair and things like that to the group. Um, they originally formed in 1990. From 1990 until present day, they have had nine top ten hits, four of those making it to number one, and a couple of those staying at number one for multiple consecutive weeks. I'd have to do some additional research, but I feel like No Scrubs was like a number one hit for something like 15 or 18 weeks or something like that and remained in the top uh, 10. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, and it remained like in the top 10 for like half the year. Uh, Waterfalls was huge, I feel, on oh, yeah. TRL. Oh, yeah. As you mentioned earlier, that was like the go-to video. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because it had like the CGI stuff with like the weird flowing water kind of distorting the, the camera and stuff. So The Terminator mm-hmm. 2 effect? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yep. The T-1000. Um, so yeah, the four number one hits would include, as we mentioned, No Scrubs and Waterfalls, as well as Unpretty and Creep. Yep. Um, not to be confused with the oh, uh, yeah. with the Radiohead, Radiohead. song Creep. <laughs> or the Stone Devil <laughs> Pilot song Creep. <laughs> Apparently being a creep was normal in the 90s. Well, it's funny because these dorky white guys that wrote those other Creep songs was all about them being like a creep, where... That song is more about like kind of kind of scoping things out in the in a time before Facebook where you could Facebook stalk people, <laughs> you had to creep on them, you know. So um, <laughs> anyway, um, so they had four multi platinum albums and one diamond wow. certified album, which is wow. pretty much unheard of, um, especially considering looking at their discography. They only have five albums. Right. So that means 80% of their albums were either platinum or diamond, which is unbelievable. Yeah. Yep. And so the diamond certified album was Crazy Sexy Cool, which is the one with Waterfalls and Creep on it. Makes Um, sense. Just just a little bit of background regarding how these things are categorized, because I know we've talked about this in past episodes um, regarding the Recording Industry Association of America. So a... To get a gold record, do you guys know how many records you have to sell? I do not. Is it a million? For gold, it's actually half a million. So half a million. you have, okay. have 500,000. For platinum, it would be a million. Um, and okay. for, for multi platinum, it's anything over 2 million, which makes sense because you have more than one platinum at that point. Um, right. And then diamond, how many uh, records do you think that is? I would have to guess 10. It is 10 10 million. million. Yeah, it's actually just 10. 10 records. That's it. Um, (laughs) It's a very limited release. It's a million dollars a piece. (laughs) Exactly. Very limited release. So It's like the the Wu-Tang album where they only released one copy and it's like a diamond album or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, it's literally made of diamonds. That's why they call it a diamond (laughs) certification. Um, (laughs) It doesn't play very well on the record player, though. No, no. You got to get your jeweler from (laughs) Tiffany's to come down and take a look at it and (laughs) really messes the needle of the record player up (laughs) well you have to have a diamond needle too you know (laughs) oh oh, oh my gosh that's the only way it works so many diamonds don't scratch (laughs) (laughs) oh man but yeah anyway i thought that was kind of kind of interesting to to hear about that um that's impressive yeah so yeah diamond records there's very few artists that have them and the ones that do are all the artists you would expect you know uh, people like michael jackson the beatles whitney houston uh, people Bands like that, that have been around a long yeah. time. And yeah, Prince stayed, I think has yeah, their one. Popularity has stayed. Exactly. Yeah. I think ACDC even. I think Back in Black was actually a Diamond record too. So. I think you're right. I so think you're right. But anyway, um, 
So I know we talked about this a little bit off air, but um, where does the name TLC come from? So originally there was a young lady in Atlanta, Georgia named Crystal Jones, and she wanted to start kind of this tomboyish hip hop group. Um, And as we kind of alluded to at this point in the 90s, what hip hop and streetwear kind of looked like was like really crazy. I don't know how to describe it other than like Sesame Street looking like crazy bright colors, (laughs) like um, bright red pants with a stark white shirt and like bright like candy apple suspenders and a green oversized hat you know just just like how you would picture like the fresh prince of bel-air type of right. um, you know ensemble uh, very very different from the mid 90s and the late 90s which were much more um you know uh what's the word i'm looking for um subdued yeah much more subdued so uh she ends up this crystal jones she ends up meeting um lisa lopez who was a Young lady from Philadelphia, she had moved down to the Atlanta area with about $750 in her pocket and a uh, like a MIDI keyboard. And so she met up with Crystal. Not long after that, uh, Tion Watkins, uh, who was from Des Moines, Iowa, also tried out for the group. And so the three of them were um, going to form this, this group together. The original name was Second Nature, um, but Ooh. they changed the name to TLC because... You had uh, Tian, Lisa, and Crystal. So that's how the, the name kind of came to be. Makes However, sense. Yeah, yeah. However, um, they were working with a bunch of different producers down in Atlanta. Um, and I guess I never realized how big of a music city Atlanta is. Because most people think oh, about yeah. New York, L.A., and Nashville. like Nashville are kind of like the big ones. And then for certain different genres, you know, like for the blues and stuff, you get... Um, like Austin and for like alt rock, you get like Seattle. Nola, but, jazz. Yeah, but you don't really think about, um, at least I don't historically think about Atlanta being kind of like a major music hub. But when you start looking at a lot of the records and things like that, especially in R&B and hip hop during the 90s, if you weren't part of the East Coast or West Coast rap scene, a lot of those records were coming out of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I guess I never realized that. Even, uh like, I know a lot of um, singer-songwriters and, um, like, acoustic artists and stuff like that, even surprisingly, a lot of their time uh, honing their craft and stuff like that was down in Atlanta, uh, which hmm. I was always surprised about. Like, that's where uh, John Mayer um, and, uh, I forget, there was a couple other ones that were down there around the same time. But John Mayer spent a lot of his time uh, down in Atlanta, and that was kind of where he was based out of when he first uh, got big with Room for Squares. So, yeah, I I was surprised about that, too, because I I knew, like, rap and R&B, hip-hop and stuff like that, there was a pretty good scene down there. But apparently for a long time down there, there was a lot of uh, clubs that really boosted, uh, like, solo acts down there, too. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And so, I mean, one of the main producers that they were meeting with was a guy named uh, Kenneth Babyface Edmonds, which I'm sure most people oh. who are familiar with 90s R&B have heard that name before. Um, very, very, yeah, extremely <laughs> famous uh, R&B singer. And I would say even a more famous producer of, of a lot of different folks records uh, at I'd that agree. time. Um, he, and then, he had some, he, he had a moderate amount of uh, success and stuff as an artist, but I think uh, he's, probably really mostly known nowadays for being one of the best like r&b yeah uh, producers that's been around in the last 30 years or so absolutely absolutely so between him and then uh, uh perry pebbles reed and her at the time husband uh, antonio la reed they were very very interested in this new group called tlc however they weren't thrilled about Jones in the group. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I was watching an interview. I want to say it was with uh, L.A. Reid, and he was saying that, you know, they, they had Tian come up, and, you know, she's got this really silky kind of lower register voice. Um, you, got, you got Lisa Left Eye Lopez, who's got the like kind of the – she's almost like the hype attitude in the band. And, you know, mm-hmm. the two of them together were doing really great stuff. And then, and then Crystal would come out and all of a sudden would feel like a, like a talent show, like, like an open mic night almost. Yeah. You you got something that's really, really close. And then this, this kind of 
throws a wrench into the whole thing. So they ended up having to kick the person who founded the band out of the band. <laughs> um, and she got Pete bested? Yes, yes. <laughs> That's um, sad. It is. It really, really is. Um, Sid Barreted. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, and then they replaced her with Rosanda Thomas, um, who goes by the nickname Chili, um, so they could you know maintain that name TLC, because TLR would probably not really make a lot of sense yeah. um so i don't know yeah. trl worked that's true <laughs> um but yeah so they were um a very very um um impressive group within the atlanta scene there was a lot of very um important people in that scene that, that took notice right away and it wasn't long after that that they started recording tracks one of the big problems that happened with all of this um, is that one of their, um, I think it was Pebbles Reed, um, had them sign into these contracts, which, you know, when you're, when you're a young kid, I think at the time they were like 18, 19, something like that. Any, anybody who's saying you're going to have a record deal and you're going to be famous and things like that, you just got to sign some papers. You're going to sign anything and everything to, to make sure oh, that yeah. that dream. So happens. where do I sign to be on TV? Exactly. Exactly. So, um, and it ended up being the case where she, had pretty much entire creative control over everything they did in terms of music, recording, production, promotion, touring, um, which uh, cross-promotional things they'd be involved with in terms of TV shows, talk shows, all of that type of stuff. So um, we'll get into a little bit later how that ended up playing out for the band. But um, spoiler alert, it was not a really great relationship for um, for the three main talents of the group. Um, oh, shocking. <laughs> yeah. Shocking so, that didn't go over well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it gets worse, especially if you're Left Eye Lopez, because um, the day that they signed all of this stuff, she uh, wanted to obviously tell her family that all of this stuff happened back up in Philadelphia. My life is coming together. My dreams are coming true. Me moving down here basically broke, like is paying off. And she found out that her father had been killed earlier that day. I think it was like oh, some type of dispute with one of his friends or relatives or something like that that did not end in his favor, unfortunately. Um, oh, that's terrible. So, yeah. So um, they, they all kind of came from pretty tough upbringings. Um, when you have... Lopez with the issues with um, her dad's untimely death. Uh, you have uh, Watkins, who never really knew her father. There was actually um, an episode of Sally. Um, I can't think of her last name. The talk show host with the red hair oh, and the glasses. Sally Jesse Raphael. Yeah. That's the one. That's the one. There was an episode in like the no, late. No, I never stayed home from school to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lie. <laughs> there was a there was an episode in the late nineties, and and at the time, you know, you you got Maury doing all of the um, paternity things. You know, are you the father of the child type stuff? Well, Sally was doing kind of the opposite and helping um, grown people who had never met their fathers or you know their mothers in very few cases, but sometimes. Um, get reacclimated and reintroduced to these people who they've otherwise never met in their lives. And so that actually happened on the show is that um, um, she was, she was able to meet her dad. So, and then wow. you had Springer where it was just a three ring circus that you couldn't look away from. <laughs> yep. Yep. And actually I think I might've misspoke. I think that may have been uh, Rosanda Thomas that actually was uh, the one who had not met her father. I'd have to double check, uh, but it was, it was one of the two that was not Lopez. So, but anyway, um, it wasn't very long after um all the signing and things like that, that they started getting into the studio and making music and, and things like that. And so their first album came out in 1992 and it was called, Oh, on the TLC tip. It had a lot of O's in the beginning. I'm not sure why. Um, <laughs> um, that's what you said in the nineties. That's right. That's right. Throwing your hands up in the air. Oh, um, but yeah, you know, it was a really great debut album. They really hit their stride with their second and third albums, but this was a good way to kind of introduce who they were and their sound and things like that. Um, the album did 
fairly well. But what really got them exposure is that to support this album, they were the opening act on MC Hammer's uh, tour at the time, his, <laughs> his North American tour. Nice. Yeah, and, and he was absolutely huge by the time 1992 rolled around. So, oh, yeah. You know, his one and only tour? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at that point, I mean, we, we kind of make jokes about how he's a, a one-hit wonder now, but back then... Um, I mean, he, he had a lot of songs on the radio, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are super cheesy, like "Too Legit to Quit" and the Adams Family Groove or whatever that song was uh, from Adams Family. But um, yeah, he had a lot of big hits at the time, and so people were hearing about this from the previous city, like, "Oh my gosh!" Like the Hammer Show was was crazy in. Cleveland or whatever and and the opening act some some group called TLC was absolutely amazing we have to absolutely see them once they get here um so people were actually showing up early in order to see um the opening act and things like that so um isn't that always creepy when you go to a concert i don't know i i hadn't experienced this phenomenon until recently with adam but uh we were at a concert this past year and there was a whole huge group of people that was there for the opening act and then as soon as they were done they left wow yeah Yeah, we were talking to them before the show like we uh we were in line outside and then they let uh the people that were because we had uh floor seats for it sure they let the people that had the floor seats go in uh to wait inside and while we were in line we're you know talking to people around us and it's like oh have you seen the the main band no no we're here for the opening act it's like really i've never heard of them they're like oh my god they're amazing like we've uh been to like the last five or six shows uh to see them and i'm like wait you're talking about the the opening act right like you're not talking about the main act. You're t- you you're following the the supporting actor yeah yeah they're great they, I mean, they were, but I've never heard of anybody following the opening act before. Yeah, I mean, unless you're, like, dating somebody in the band or they're, like, yeah. your brother or something. It's like, oh, okay, that's different, um, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, they put on a really good show. I see why people would follow them around, but I don't yeah. know if I'd uh, follow them just to see a 45-minute set every night. Probably yeah, I don't know if I would songs. spend, you know, $100 on concert tickets to leave 45 minutes in. <laughs> no, yeah, that's that's crazy. Especially if you're driving all over the country to do that. Now, I, I know that I have some friends. Um, actually, Paul, one of your, your co-workers um, is, is, a, is a good friend of all three of ours. Um, and she used to be really mm-hmm. into this uh, guy named Howie Day. He did that song Collide. I think was like his only top 40 hit. He had a lot of really great music, but it's all kind of like that Jason Mrazzi, um, mm-hmm. John Mayer type of soft rock acoustic stuff. Um, and I think there was one summer she saw him like 15 times or something like that. Wow. Um, like any 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 time <laughs> that he got within like an eight hour drive of Grand Rapids, she was there. So, um, you know, Milwaukee and Chicago and Louisville sure, and right. like just wherever that he was playing. So um, and then um, my wife has a, a really good friend that was one of the Jonas Brothers, like original fans, huge Jonas Brothers fan. Um, And actually the Jonas Brothers have a, I don't know if it's still on there, but they had a Netflix documentary showing like the history of the band. And there's like videos of her watching them at like TRL, you know, when they had a tiny little concert space upstairs with like a hundred seats or less. And you can see her like in the audience and that's yeah, awesome. there's pictures of her like hanging out with them and stuff like that. It's it's really wild. So um, <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned Howie Day. I was walking around somewhere uh, just recently, and there was music playing on the radio, and Howie Day's Collide was on the radio. I was like, man, <laughs> I haven't heard this song in ten years. Yeah, yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. But um, but going back to TLC now. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, we are yeah. talking about them, aren't we? <laughs> so, as I mentioned, the first album uh, did fairly well all on its own and with some promotion through MTV. Um, the first big hit was uh, Ain't Too Proud to Beg, which was not a Temptations cover. Um, I was very surprised to learn that. Um, between that song, Baby, 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 um, What About Your Friends, and, and Hat to the Back, a lot of these songs were talking about independent, empowered women, 
being sexually open, but practicing safe sex and uh, things like that. Very, very positive message at a time where um, I don't know if there was a lot of female artists that were kind of taking that approach at the time. Um, yeah. and, and it really resonated with a lot of folks. Um, so on this that two, album came out in 92. So that's, yeah, that's pretty early into the nineties. And yeah, you're right. Like there really weren't a lot of artists that were promoting that at the yeah. time. Yeah. Cause, sure. Cause when you start thinking about the nineties and like, if, if you, if you think about what like a female empowered artist at the time was, it, it, they were still like a very grungy, broken type, like a Fiona Apple type artist like yes i'm in control of my life my sexuality my whatever but at the same time it's very like you know same thing with like alanis morissette you know a lot of it is still very much kind of like a broken disjointed um sad feeling right where, where tlc was more like you know if boys can do it i can too and and that was I don't know. I think kind of a refreshing new spin on a lot of those topics. Mm-hmm. So the tour tour went really well up until a certain point. They're doing an 18-hour drive to the next show in Omaha, Nebraska. So I'm not sure exactly where they were coming from. That was 18 hours on a tour bus away, maybe like San Antonio or something like that. I was going to say pretty much anywhere is 18 <laughs> hours from Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> but yeah. But on the plus side, you can also pretty much see it from anywhere too because it's just flat. Right. That's true. <laughs> that's true. So this 18-hour drive, uh, Tian had not told anybody in the band or um, any of the crew or anything like that that she at a very young age was diagnosed with, with sickle cell anemia and got violently ill on this drive. Um, and so a lot of the second half of the tour, um, they had to cancel their dates. And um, she stayed at a hospital in Nebraska and the other two girls stayed with her. And yeah, it was it was kind of a kind of a rough thing. But this album showed people that they were kind of the real deal and they were a group to listen to. Um, at this time, uh, Lisa Left Eye Lopez started dating Andre Risen of the Atlanta Falcons. Um, and, and that that will come up later. But but yeah, it was a, a, a good debut album. The second album, though, is what really put them on the map. And before I get into their second and third albums, because those are definitely their, their, their biggest ones, what are some of you guys' like early memories of TLC? Phony calls. Phony calls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you, do yep. you want to describe what that is for our listeners that may not be familiar with the weird one? Yes. Uh, so Weird Al had an album uh, named Bad Hair Day in 1996. It was the first actual CD that I bought. I'm not saying it was the first album that I bought, but it was the first CD because mm-hmm. at that point I was balling enough to have a Discman to actually oh. listen to compact discs. Oh, la di da, <laughs> mister. I'm all there <laughs> with my Walkmans. <laughs> And on that album, he parodied the song uh, Waterfalls with a Simpsons-inspired parody on prank calls called Phony Calls. Yep. And I think I heard Phony Calls before I heard Waterfalls. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> um well, that was at the beginning. I mean, that's to show you what my music taste was in 1996. Sure. Shortly thereafter, if not the same year, is when I started watching TRL and started getting into MTV and music videos. And they're definitely – the music video for Waterfalls is definitely some of my first memories of TLC and probably some of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but – if you had to say, what is my first memory? It's Phony Calls, because I remember liking that song and then specifically looking up what it was a parody of. Right. Oh, nice. nice. Um, yeah, as far as uh, me, my my mom in particular has always been really into Motown, R&B, stuff like that. So I actually grew up quite a bit on uh, 90s R&B, you know, a lot of Whitney Houston, a lot of Mariah Carey, Boys to Men, stuff like that. So I actually um pretty sure we had crazy sexy cool uh, maybe not right when it came out but probably within a year or two of it coming out um I remember having that uh and listening to it so uh I kind of remember that somewhat early on uh, cuz we would have been like less than 10 at that point 
li- listening to uh, them and uh, just like with uh, the other artists I mentioned, really enjoyed that uh, that album and especially obviously uh, Waterfalls was a real popular song and, and very uh, catchy song. Absolutely, so I remember. In- I-, I definitely remember enjoying it. I don't really remember many of the other songs off of it. Um, like uh, you know, listening to them as much, but like obviously creep and stuff like that. But that was uh, like those two were kind of the ones I mostly remember off of that album. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, for me, I don't know if you guys remember, um, in the '90s and even into the early 2000s, the Grammys used to release um each year a Grammy nominee CD, and that's mm-hmm. actually how they used to get people to like basically get into it and know who the nominees and things were because they couldn't do that digitally at that point. Um, And so the 1996 Grammy nominees CD had waterfalls on it. Just to give you guys a little blast from the past, because I think it's so fascinating and how huge like these things are. Cause right now, like whenever I watch the Grammys, I don't have a clue who half these people are, <laughs> but like when <laughs> Welcome you go to my world, yeah, exactly. Um, but when you go through this, so the first song on the album was one sweet day, which was uh boys to men featuring Mariah Carey. Um, oh, then you yeah. have gangsta's paradise with, uh, which is Coolio. One of us, you know, what if God was one of us, uh, uh, yep. Joan Osborne, Kiss from a Rose, Seal, Waterfalls, um, I Can Love You Like That, All for One, the uh, the, the, Ooh, the knockoff nice. of Boys to Men. Yeah, the 98 Degrees of Boys to Men. Um, <laughs> um, hey, don't talk bad about 98 Degrees. I, I'm not. I'm not. I, I love that song. And I also love, uh, they did I Swear was their other big hit. Um, and I always, yeah. I always loved that song. Um, it's like the best song to roller skate holding hands with some girl that like <laughs> oh heck yeah terry hall <laughs> oh yeah man yeah. oh yeah oh yeah terry hall was the name of the roller rink not the girl by the way just just to be fair um <laughs> it was also I the actually, name of their janitor I, really weird hey terry <laughs> take out the trash <laughs> hey. uh, i actually just went uh to that side of town the other day and terry hall is still there oh wow couldn't believe it wow that's amazing yeah so the, the last few songs on here was um you Are Not Alone by Michael Jackson. Um, oh, yeah, great song. You Ought to Know by Alanis Morissette. Wow. Oh, nice. Baby by Brandy. Um, Let, Her, oh, yeah. Let Her Cry by Hootie and the Blowfish. And Let Her Cry. That's the one. <laughs> Here the tears fall down <laughs> like rain. <laughs> it's like, why does Darius Rucker always sound like Eddie Vedder? I, I don't know. But uh, And then Any, Any Man of Mine by Shania Twain. So, um, oh, so yeah. that particular album... Um, was kind of my, uh, similar to Paul, my first foray into pop music was right at about that 1996 entry point. Um, Man, that that track list on there, that was Yeah, that's like my 90s. childhood in a box. Yeah. Seriously, that's crazy. <laughs> the, the one after it, um, let me, I, I'm just going to pull it up. I know that we're talking about TLC, but the one after it's really good too. Um, the 1997, typey, typey, typey. <laughs> Um, Give Me One Reason by Tracy Chapman. Oh, yeah. Change the World, uh, Eric Clapton featuring Babyface. Mm -hmm. Because You Loved Me um, by Celine Dion. Ironic by Alanis Morissette. 1979 by The Smashing Pumpkins. Stupid Girl by Garbage. Who Will Save Your Soul by Jewel. Spiderwebs by No Doubt. Uh, nobody wow. knows by the Tony Rich Project. That's that. Nobody knows it but me. Like oh, very, yeah. very nineties R and B like acoustic oh, song. Yeah. Um, and then my baby by Leanne Rhymes, which was a huge hit. Uh, Unbreak wow. my heart by Tony Braxton. Um, what- Unbreak my heart. Yeah, I could only hear uh, <laughs> Doug Doug Judy singing it. <laughs> um, Judy. <laughs> Um, Get Out of This House by uh, Sean Colvin and Reach by Gloria Estefan. Yeah, so I mean, these albums were amazing. And like I said, nowadays, it's all artists I don't know anything about other than like that they have an Instagram with a ton of followers. Like, okay, (laughs) I've heard of Ariana Grande. I know who that is. But like, I don't know. It's very different than seeing like the Smashing Pumpkins and Jewel and Brandy and artists like that. So 
the the track list on those two albums just headbutted me right in the 90s oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> there was another one too from like 98 or 99 that had like jamiroquai and new radicals and oh yeah they were they were really great that's and then can i still buy these albums Sure. I mean, if I, I would, I would think so. I, I don't own Amazon, so you can check with Mr. Bezos and find out. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. So anyway, um, so that's kind of all of our entry points with uh, TLC. So this second album, uh, Crazy Sexy Cool, it's like one of the most iconic album covers of um, of the '90s. Anybody who's ever used a jukebox, whether it's a stationary or digital jukebox has seen this album cover where it's like it's as bright stop sign red as you can imagine with kind of like the contours of their face in black and then big white letters across the bottom, crazy, sexy, cool. Uh, This album sold over 10 million records. I think it's almost 12 million records when the day's all said and done. It was a Leviathan of a record. Um, They sold so many albums. They were huge at this point. Um, and as we discussed, Waterfalls was kind of the biggest hit off of it. Um, the first hit off of the album was a song called Creep. Creep. And I Yay. love that music video. That's the one. Um, Tion Watkins is so hot in that music video. I don't care. I know we, we try not to say stuff like that, especially about famous people who aren't here to defend themselves. But but she she was so, so fine in that video. Um, and then they I would offset it because every time it would be her in like the silky pajama top. And then it would it would transition to like a real close up of trumpet valves. <laughs> it's like I never understood why. Like when it would um, do the. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so she would like do this like dive thing and her hair was kind of in like this like uh like a chin length bob and when she would go down her hair would kind of come up and then all of a sudden it'd be like this black and white like <laughs> trumpet valve so i was like what is this um but but yeah so you had that song you had waterfalls you had um you had red light special and you had digging on you were, were the biggest hits off of the record but i forgot about red light special i haven't yeah. thought about that song and Oh yeah! When did this come out? <laughs> yeah, I say. Um, I want to say it was around the same time as Big Willie style. I could be wrong right. on that, but I kind of feel I I kind of remember making, uh, you know, back when we used to have to record songs off the radio yeah. Uh, yeah. when we were poor. Yep. Yep. Um, and uh, I feel like I had them on the same cassette tape. Nice. That's awesome. That's so awesome. And uh, just a real quick interjection. I was just looking at the page on this. It's really kind of impressive. You know, you mentioned that Babyface was uh, one of the producers who kind of helped really launch them into uh, superstardom. But this album alone, uh, their producers included Babyface, Jermaine Dupree, and Sean Puff Daddy Combs. Wow, that's wow. that's yeah. That's, he was I like mean, he was a, like the biggest. Who. Yeah, he's like the biggest guy at that point. Um, yeah. you know, in in hip hop R and B production. I mean. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like he was Kanye before Kanye was like out of diapers, you know, like I mean, he was <laughs> and before Kanye went crazy. <laughs> so did uh... he, though, or did he just lose the fear of talking to people? <laughs> <laughs> that could be. <laughs> so I mentioned earlier that Lisa Lefty Lopez was dating uh, Andre Ryson of the Falcons. Do you guys remember anything about that relationship, especially when it came to um, about the time this album was released? Uh -uh. I don't know about the timing, but the only reason that I know who that gentleman is is because his house burned down in a very tragic fashion. Yes, yes. And uh, and I'm not going to lie. I never knew him as a football player until after his house was burned down. (laughs) Yep. And his house was burned down. Oh God, he's a football player. <laughs> well, now and I his feel- mansion got burned down from a bathtub fire, if I'm remembering MTV News correctly. Yes. Uh huh. So, um, so basically, what would happen is he was kind of physically abusive. He would kind of mess around behind Lisa's back. She would get upset, but wouldn't leave. So one of her ways of dealing with stress is she would burn shit. Um, and so she burns. As you a- do. She burned a teddy bear in their marble bathtub and it like destroyed the tub. So they had to get the tub replaced and stuff like that. And so something similar in fashion happened. I think, I think from what I remember from behind the music is that she went out 
girls night type thing came home and he was like just getting home as well and like there was a big drunken fight that happened and she got really pissed and lit some of his sneakers on fire and threw them in the tub well the marble tub was able to contain most of that the tub they replaced the marble tub with was fiberglass which if anyone knows anything about fiberglass if you ever watch like old stock car races from the 60s and 70s they pretty much go instantly up in flames. Um, so wow. that's kind of what happened is instead of being able to like douse the fire out pretty quickly after, you know, her temper calmed down, that whole side of the house was just up in flames. And wow. she booked it, was like, yeah, okay, whatever. She got um, tried for arson. She ended up having to do... Um, I think she did some time in prison, but most of her uh, sentencing was rehab and counseling and, and things like that. Okay. Um, and and I See, guess that's terrible. See, I wanted to make jokes about a bad breakup, but you throw all this other information in there and it's just kind of depressing. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is. Um, but that being said, I mean, um, so I believe the bridge, the, the rap solo, if you will, in Waterfalls um, – actually is about that experience while she's sitting in therapy or rehab or whatever and she looked out the window or she was driving between therapy sessions or something and there was a rainbow and I don't remember the exact lyrics but there's something about seeing a rainbow yesterday or two maybe so on blah 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 Um, so that whole section right there is all about her going through that so like literally while they were recording this album promoting this album setting up this tour to support this album you know she's literally on trial for setting her boyfriend's house on fire um (laughs) yeah wow yeah and while it was entirely like an accident it was also like she intentionally started a fire in a house in just the hopes that she'd put it out before it got out of hand so a different way of going about solving your problems but um the therapy and things like that from what i understand helped her out quite a bit in terms of uh, dealing with with her temper and, and emotions and things like that that's good. so yeah so they they ride this wave for you know about four and a half years and um wow, you know everyone crazy. still loves the music and things like that but no one hears anything new from them during that entire time and then in 1999 along with every other pop group that was doing some type of Y2K twist on their music. Backstreet Uh, Boys Millennium. That's right. (laughs) That's right. They released uh, the album Fan Mail. The first hit off of that was No Scrubs. Um, The term scrub, I still get heard used pretty regularly in terms of just describing guys that are just gross with no money that just like catcall women. And I think it's a very fitting term, you know, a scrub. They also had other songs on there that were pretty big hits. Uh, Unpretty was a number one hit. And oh, then yeah. uh, Dear Lie was also a top 40 hit. I don't think. Oh, I didn't realize that was the same album. In yeah. my head, that song came earlier. I don't know why I think that. but Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But um, the the music video for No Scrubs is, it's, it's been ranked pretty high in terms of like MTV's all time most popular um, at the time, it was one of like the highest budgeted music videos that didn't have Michael Jackson's name on it, basically, that was ever made because you had all of these crazy special effects and futuristic costumes. And it was like this weird iRobot before iRobot meets Tron yeah. meets like it was very wild stuff. Um, says, it says here uh, it stayed in the top 10 uh, or I'm sorry, top 100 for 17 weeks. Wow. Um it was the first song to peak with over 140 million audience impressions and was crowned the top airplay song of 1999. Wow. How does that track with other female groups from that time frame? That that has to blow everybody out of the water, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, who else would I you mean, include in that? Like Salt, salt and Pepper, only- obviously, but like. Well, if you took solo acts out and did just, you know, did um, actual like women only groups, the only other one that comes to mind is Spice Girls. Yeah, that's but true. That was much earlier than that, and then maybe Destiny's Child later. Yeah, Destiny. Yeah. De- well, Destiny's Child would have been like right they, about this time. They, yeah, they would have. They would have been. Real, they would have been really popular at the time that fan mail came out because they got their start. Uh, 
Destiny Child, their first tour was opening for Voice to Men, and that's when they first got real big, is when they were touring with them. I forget what album or what song that would have been that they were touring off of. Uh, if you guys yeah. uh, want to chat a second, I'll find that real quick. Sure, sure. But yeah, I mean, I think that's a really interesting point because there wasn't a whole lot of other groups that were like that. And and the other you know female groups, like when you think about Spice Girls, I mean, that's a very different style of music than what, than, than what TLC but... was kind of producing. So... Um, but yeah, absolutely. It's just that they're the only other ones that really came to my mind that had that, you know, if I'm, I'm thinking back to the posters on my wall in my childhood room and that's all I got that wasn't a solo act. There are plenty of, um, you know, female solo acts that went throughout the nineties that were very strong, still strong. Um, Celine Dion, Alanis Morissette, um, yeah, later Michelle Branch. Sure. Mm-hmm. That would have been later in the 2000s. But I can think of, you know, tons of hits from solo acts, but I can't think of very many um, all-female groups. Like yeah. TLC is definitely, when I think of an all-female group, TLC is the, if we were playing the word association game, that is where my head goes. Yeah. I, I'd and- say I'd say uh, Destiny Child would probably be up there too, but they're their tenure was a lot shorter after obviously after Beyonce went solo and in sure. big. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the first, uh, the first song that, or that really blew up for destiny's child was no, no, no. In 97. Kind of, okay. So mm-hmm. that would have been, yeah, they would have been big right about the same time as fan mail. Cause that would have been like a couple years after they uh, had first yeah. started touring and stuff. So, and that was at the time they had, you know, songs like Bugaboo and Bills, Bills, Bills and yeah, all yep. of those types of songs. So, um, yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah, it, it's really interesting to kind of look at that. And, and as being a, you know, a white 12 year old at the time who was playing guitar and a lot of these songs were not very guitar driven. A lot of it was kind of stuff that I was just hearing peripherally that I have gone back in the last 10 years and really like absorbed a lot. And I, w- I wish I would have been more um, receptive to it at the time, just because it's like, Oh, I can't learn how to play this song. So what's the point of listening to it? You know? Right. Um, but there's a lot of really great music um, from all of those acts. Um, but um, getting back to TLC. So I don't know how or why this happened, but there was an interview done with Lisa Lopez. And so she's, Several years removed from burning down, you know, her boyfriend's house. I don't even know if they're even still together at this point. They may have broken up um, and she's being interviewed individually. Um, she kind of always led more of the hip hop style of the group uh, where Tian and Rosanda were more kind of the melodic traditional singing in the group. And she said some really strange kind of puzzling um, divisive comments about the group and how she didn't feel she could, you know, um, express herself fully and she talked about doing a a three disc uh album called the feud where each of the girls would basically have their own disc and then fans could compare which one they liked best or something Ooh. like that hmm. um this never ended up coming to fruition but um sounds kind of like when kiss uh did that thing where like each oh, one yeah. of them had their own album Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I don't know if it was um, supposed to be like that or if it was supposed to be a little bit like the Pumpkins and Nine Inch Nails releasing, oh, they're releasing two disc albums. We'll we'll do a three disc album. You know, I'm not exactly sure what was, um, but for whatever reason, she was not feeling like she was gelling with the group. And eventually that kind of blew over or got mended in some way. They started working on their fourth studio album, um, which was called 3D. During the time that they were recording and and producing a lot of the tracks uh, in 2002, Left Eye Lopez was in Honduras uh, and she got into a car accident and and unfortunately was killed. The vocal tracks that she had completed, they they kept, um, but a lot of the songs had to be rearranged and things like that to try and um, make those work. And then during like the, the performances to support the album, they did a lot of different things to like with her on video screen and things like that and found different ways to kind of pay homage to her basically. 
nowadays they could have done the uh, the holograms like they did with Dio and Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson and yep. James Brown and yeah, yeah. Um, that would be interesting. That would certainly be interesting. And then who knows? They they might do that. Um, they um, but anyway, that was the last album that they released during our time frame. Several years later, they they released their final album. Um, uh, I want to say it was like 2017. Yeah, um, sounds right. And oh wow! Yeah, so they went many many years. They didn't feel they could really do the group justice without without Lopez. So. Mm-hmm. But then they they released one anyway. Um, it's done okay. Um, you know, it, it's different now. You know, they're, they're used to being in a, a world where people sold physical media, physical discs, and mm-hmm. um, people called into radio stations and like MTV and things like that. And now downloads and things, they're tracked differently and stuff. So, right. um, you know, but a lot of folks our age who grew up listening to TLC ha- have listened to the album and, and downloaded it and things like that. Um, that's basically all I have about the group, the drama that surrounds them, uh, the legacy that they've left behind as we kind of already discussed, um, you know, bands like Destiny's Child and and other groups like that, um, take a lot of credit to um, their sound and their image and their style of dancing and everything like that, um, to TLC. So, um, I think that the, the mark they've left on popular music in general, but especially in terms of, um, you know, empowering strong women to not necessarily just be like the damsels in distress and things like that, I think was kind of a, uh, a thing that they uniquely pushed ahead more than really anyone else at that time period. Absolutely. Uh, one thing I did want to mention real quick. Uh, so I remember seeing the, um, the posters for this up on uh, billboards around town. Uh, when I was driving around, but for a, uh, a couple of years, uh, back in 2017, there was a tour called the I Love the 90s The Party Continues Tour that featured huh. TLC, so this would have been when they were supporting that album that came out in 2017, and then sure. the, the uh, other bands or uh, uh, musicians that were part of it were Mark McGrath from Sugar Ray, All for <laughs> All for One, Rob Bass, CNC Music Factory, and Snap. CNC Music Factory. That sounds familiar. Why does that sound familiar? Uh, they. <laughs> oh gosh, what was their big song? Um... Gonna make Can you I sweat. Interject with uh, yeah, one last right. thought uh, about the song Waterfalls. Yes. We talked a lot about the video, but we never really talked about what chasing waterfalls means. Do you guys remember from the video? No. Uh, So the idea behind chasing waterfalls or in the chorus says, don't go chasing waterfalls, stick to the lakes and rivers you're used to. The idea behind it was, you know, don't try and be something you're not. And it was kind of like, if you look at the like storylines of the music video, it was about um, making smarter choices in life. And there were like several like mini stories that play out throughout the music video. Uh, the first one is a you know kid that uh, he decides that he wants to, you know, be a drug dealer or he just wants to get into that life like you know the gangster rap life type thing Mm -hmm. and he goes up to these guys standing on a street corner and he pulls he's about to pull out a wad of cash uh the people on the street corner see the wad of the cash gun him down take the money oh geez um the next video is a guy who's very promiscuous and they imply that he contracts AIDS and then continues his lifestyle. And it keeps showing like pictures of these people and then them fading away as the song goes on. And um, a lot of that has always stuck with me. Yeah. Um, yeah. More so than the song itself. Uh as far as like sexuality or just, you know, like sex life in the 90s, there are three things that I can point to as milestones for what guided my decisions when I came of age. And those are the movie Kids. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Which that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> we'll just say that it was a movie from the 90s that dealt with HIV when most of us didn't yet understand HIV. 
And it's very eye-opening, although it's really a terrible movie. But when you're that age, it scared the hell out of you, which it was intended to sure. do. Yeah, that was the and point. And I thank yeah. them for it. But the movie Kids, MTV's Sex in the 90s, and the Waterfalls music video. And I don't know if it's because I was coming of age at this time this song was popular, so that was on my mind more. But I feel like we kind of came of age in a time when that was like, you know, when sexually transmitted diseases were more in the open and more, you know, part of the conversation. Whereas before it was kind of like, yeah, that won't happen to me. Right. Right. And I really have to give credit to the music video for this song, because I think for a lot of people of our age group, it started that conversation. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really great point. Especially with HIV AIDS and stuff. That was, right at t- around the time when that was kind of becoming a cultural thing because, you, you know, 90, 91, 92, uh, Magic Johnson of the Los Angeles Lakers had announced that he had contracted AIDS or HIV. Uh, there was the movie Philadelphia with Tom Hanks about a lawyer who yep. loses his job yeah. because he is diagnosed and stuff. So it was really starting to become more like people were starting to talk about it more and starting to explore that more as as like you know what happens when these people get it and what happens to them and you know how their life changes besides just the the diagnosis and stuff. And then of course. Um, you know, a handful of years before all that, Freddie Mercury died within yep. 24 hours of uh, telling the world that he had uh, contracted HIV AIDS. So it, it yeah. definitely was a very big topic in society at that point in the early 90s. Yeah. And I, I think further to your point, I mean, when, when Freddie Mercury passed, um, you know, that was very much a thing. Right, wrong, or indifferent um, at the time that most people just didn't really think about, care about, worry about because it was a, an issue in the gay community. And if you weren't gay, you weren't ever going to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, right, wrong, or indifferent, that's how a lot of people felt. Where as time went on, people started seeing that you could contract AIDS through blood transfusions, through drug use, through just exchange of of you know blood or spit or other bodily fluids things like that um and it became something that like anybody could get um you know that that's really when when you started seeing attitudes change about it um i don't know it's yeah. it's, it's interesting no, i i agree and i didn't mean to end it on a downer but i just i feel like i have to give kudos to that song for making me think about it yeah at a time in my life when it was important to do so, because at the in the end, education is how you prevent bad decisions. And that song made me think about it, even though that wasn't the well, I guess it is the intent of but of not chasing waterfalls. But I feel like a lot of people they get caught up in the catchiness of the music and they kind of forget what it was about. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they had, they had a lot of music like that, like the song Unpre- oh, yeah. Unpretty, too, was another song yes, about, oh, you know, just um, kind of a body dysmorphic, you know, pressure that you have on yourself to be um, like a certain level of physical attractiveness. And that's kind of where all of your value as a human being, especially as a woman, would come from. Um, and so to have a song about, you know, directly speaking about that level of insecurity and pressure that people often face in society, I think was really huge. And once again, it's it's a hard topic to talk about, but when you do it right, it really resonates with a lot of people. And you see that by the number of records that were moved. You see that by yes. how many weeks these songs were in the top 40 or even in the top one, <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, that they, they, you know, so... But I absolutely agree. I think that there's a lot there to um, a lot of substance while there was a lot of fun, too. Um, you know, I think that they did a, they did a really great job of, of of touching on a lot of different themes um, and, and doing it with with a lot of a lot of proficiency. So. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, from kind of what I'm gathering, that sounds like we are uh, wrapping up our discussion on TLC. Uh, so that means it is now time to move on to Nostalgia! 
Yes, I have devised a trivia question for my co-host to answer. Whoever is closest will get to lead their chat next time. Adam has The Phantom of the Opera. Bum, 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 bum. And Paul has Dr. Mario. Are you guys ready? Let's do it. Always. All right. So. Not math. (laughs) There will be a little bit. I I, I apologize. Um, Having multi-platinum and diamond records... How many total records, including singles and compilations, has TLC sold? And we can round it to the nearest million. Ouch. I'm just going to throw out uh, 16 million. Okay. Adam? He's carrying the one. I'm going to go with 19 million. All right. All right. Um, So Adam is closest. The correct answer, if you include singles and compilations as well as their studio albums, was 85 million records. Whoa. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So if you include like uh, greatest hits and things like that, and then the individual individual singles and stuff that they would sell with like B-sides and stuff, um, it was 85 million million records that is unbelievable so the tiebreaker had there been one uh, we discussed that in 2017 tlc released their first album in 15 years um which is their most current album in 2017 what was it called it was uh self-titled it was tlc it was called TLC. <laughs> Considering that uh, I was today years old when I found out it existed, I don't have a clue. Yeah, it, it was it was TLC. Um, it's kind of funny that they would have their fifth album be their self-title, but I guess that's what Metallica did too, so yeah. who knows. <laughs> yeah, shoot, Dream Theater's uh, self-titled album was like, 20-something years after they started. Right, right. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. So, there you have it. I am the winner, and I will be guiding you through the land of Phantom of the Opera. Uh, next time, Paul, the loser, still has Dr. Mario hey in his now. pocket, which is so dirty. Uh, and now, <laughs> we need to visit the Hopper of Imagination to get Brian a new topic. <laughs> turn, Game Boy Pocket. Yeah, say, Game Boy Pocket. <laughs> turn, turn your head and cough for the doctor, right? So uh, <laughs> we want to remind. Chilly fever. Oh boy, <laughs> temperature is rising. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> we want to remind all of our listeners that if there's a topic you'd like to hear us discuss, you can submit those at our website, datingourselvespodcast.com. The topics are coming out of the little lottery machine now. I should have started spinning it when you said I was going to do this, but I didn't. <laughs> uh, your categories are... Actually, let me start. Are you ready, Brian? Are you yes. excited? Yes. yes. I'm, I'm all the above. I'm ready, excited, okay. slightly aroused, partially inebriated, and... Um... Ooh, so it's Sunday then, is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, your categories are pop culture, music artist, sitcom. Ooh. 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 Is there a subcategory that you can give me as a hint for uh, pop culture? If not, it's okay. If not, it's okay. No, I can't. Uh, I will say uh, computer pop culture, but Mm. not games. I will help you narrow it down. Gotcha, gotcha. Whoo! Um, well, I just did a music artist, although I definitely enjoy that. Um, you can't go wrong. Why not? Let's do music artist. Judas Priest. Oh, oh! yes. Oh, that'll be fun. Yes. <laughs> awesome. So, um, yeah. So there you have it, folks. Be sure to check us out in two weeks. Uh, when Adam will be guiding us through the Phantom of the Opera. Uh, and then in future episodes, well, I will be discussing Judas Priest, and Paul will be um, chatting up Dr. Mario. Thanks again for joining us on Dating Ourselves. 
And if you like what you heard, there's more to come. You can check us out at www.datingourselvespodcast.com to learn more about us in the show. And you can check out our Contact Us tab if you'd like to submit your own nostalgic topics. You can also send us your submissions at datingourselvespodcast at aol.com. We've got, got mail. In addition to iTunes, you can also find us on TuneIn Radio, Google Music, and wherever podcasts are downloaded. Please be sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss any of the throwback shit. Throwback shit. Oh, yeah. All right. We post additional content on Facebook at facebook.com slash datingourselvespodcast. If you're on Instagram, you can find us at datingourselvespodcast. We can do the Twitter thing, too, at datedpodcast. And remember, if you're too old for Snapchat and too young for Life Alert, you've just been dating. Later, guys. See ya. Bye.